0: Welcome to all you guys who are across the street or if you're joining us online. Most of you know who I am by now, but if you don't, my name is Matt. I'm the high school pastor here at Mount Pleasant. And I'm excited to share the message with you today. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 6. That's where we will be this morning. Um, And as we're in between um, sermon series, Pastor Chris um, and his crew are in Greece. Or last known location was actually... On the island of Crete. And so I don't know where they're at now, but they're cruising around over there somewhere having a good time. Uh, But I get an opportunity to share with you just a passage this morning that's spoken to my heart and uh, means a lot to me. And I think that what we share today and what we talk about uh, will leave you encouraged when we're all finished. I want to start by telling you um, about a really cool opportunity I had last fall as a part of a small team from here, from Mount Pleasant, that got to go and visit Cuba for five days. Um, And while we were there, we got to visit churches um, and seminaries and see what God is doing on the island that's just south of us. And it was a really cool opportunity um, to see what's going on over there. For me, it was a little surreal. You probably don't know this about me, but uh, my father was born in Cuba, and uh, his parents and his brother and his grandmas all left Cuba in 1967 for a better life in South Florida. And so for me, as a part of my heritage, it was really cool to go there and to see how Mount Pleasant can both now and in the future partner with the churches and the seminaries over there to spread the gospel. You know, Cuba that we know today was built on broken promises. When Fidel Castro overthrew the U.S.-backed dictator Fulgencia Bautista in 1959, he, he built his regime on promises to the Cuban people for their support. He promised to end government corruption. He promised to make life better for them. And on some levels, he did this. He offered free education and offered free health care. But as you know, and as you can see, over the last 15, 60 years, the island has deteriorated. And those promises, he's failed on. That's why today, although with the new Changes that are going on. A lot of people are excited about the opportunity for Cuba for tourism or for a business partnership. If you were to ask many Cuban Americans, they have a lot different opinion on it because they know the regime that stole their hearts, that stole their land, and that stole their freedom. It's a deal with deal makers who built their wealth and their control on broken promises. Broken promises can leave a sting. Maybe you know that's true today. Maybe you've had a broken promise with a family member or with a parent or with a friend. You know that it can hurt. You know what that feels like. Maybe you've been hurt by promises before. So what I want to do today is, is to take a look at the, the other side of the spectrum, the, the opposite side. I want to look at God's promises to us and how they are always true and that they will never fail. That's what we're going to look at today in our text. But before I begin, I just want to pray uh, over this message. So will you join me in prayer? Father, um, I invite you here. We know that you're here. We know that you are with us. And Lord, I just pray that whatever I've prepared, whatever I'm going to say, um, just speak through the scriptures and the truth of who you are and change us, God. Help us to be more like you. We love you. Thank you for Christ. And again, we just, we just ask that you would bless this time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The background for our text in Hebrews is this. Uh, I'll be honest with you. We aren't 100% sure who wrote this book, this letter of Hebrews. But we do know when it was written and who it was written to. And it was written to Jewish Christians in the first century all throughout the Roman Empire. Now, during this time, these Christians were starting to suffer some persecution. There was this thing going on in the Roman Empire called Pax Romana, which means peace peace. In Rome, it meant everyone has to get along, and no one's allowed to argue and exclude people. And so when Christians started going around saying, we have the only king, and he is the only, Jesus is the only way to heaven, it started to ruffle some feathers in the Roman Empire. And under the Emperor Nero, they started to persecute Christians. And so this letter, Hebrews, written to Jewish Christians all throughout the Roman Empire, was meant to encourage them meant to remind them that God is not going to forget them, that God's not going to leave them, and that they should stay strong in their faith. So I want to ask you to stand with me as we read our scripture today from Hebrews chapter 6. As we do every week, wherever you are, across the street, online, or here with me, stand with us as we read this passage, starting in verse 13 of Hebrews 6. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying i will surely bless you and give you many descendants and so after waiting patiently abraham received what was promised see men swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments because god wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised he confirmed it with an oath And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Thank you. You can be seated. I want to make this uh, pretty easy on us today, and so in your bullets, and you've got a notes page, and so I encourage you to follow along with me, very simple, three things that we can follow and see from this passage I think is going to leave us encouraged, so let's get started. The first one is this, we have a promise, we have a promise. Now, do you remember when you were a kid, and your parents made promises to you, like uh, if you eat your green beans, then you get some ice cream, right? Right? Uh, Or if you get straight A's, then we'll take you to King's Island or Chuck E. Cheese or, you know, wherever you wanted to go, right? Maybe you're a parent today and you know you're starting to make some of those promises, right? And the truth is that promises lead us to something, to be something or to live a certain way. They give us a desire and create faithfulness and obedience in us. I think God knows that and I think that's the first part of our text today. For the rest of the morning, everything that, that we read from the scripture is going to be on the screen behind me, so follow along with me. Let's just look at the beginning of the text again. Verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God made a promise to Abraham. And this is important because every promise in Scripture speaks some amount of truth to us. And it's important, but here's the key. What was the promise? Now, from the outside, it looks pretty simple, right? I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. That's what we see here in Hebrews chapter 6 as the promise. But it would be foolish for us not to look back and understand the full weight of the relationship between God and and Abraham, and so I want to take us on a journey real quick on, on the relationship between these two and see everything that entails with this promise. Look at Genesis chapter 12, the, the first time that we see these two interacting. The Lord had said to Abram, "'Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing.'" I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, from the beginning, God made a promise to Abraham, and it was connected to Abraham's faith in him. It was connected to his obedience in him. This promise was connected to Abraham leaving, leaving his country, leaving his father's family, and going to a land that God didn't even tell him where he was going. He just said, go to the land that I have prepared for you. The blessing included a lot of different things and more than just descendants. But a few chapters later, we get another piece of the blessing in Genesis 15. Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, and so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, now God has promised a son, and in Abram's time, this was everything, right? A son to take over your land, your estate, your wealth, your name, your stuff, everything that was about you, a son was supposed to take over and carry on your behalf. And Abram didn't have that. And it weighed heavy on his heart. And he said, What well, who's gonna take over my stuff? This the servant in my house? He said, God, you haven't given me what I need. So God promised him. He said, He will not be your son, he will not be your heir, but a son who's your own flesh and blood will be. And look at verse six again. It says this Abram believed the Lord. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Before it happened, Abram believed God. And as you know this story, and hopefully you do, God delivered on this promise, right? God delivered him, Isaac, his own son from his wife. Um, and it was great, and it was, a, it was a blessing. And they loved it, that's what they wanted. But as you also probably know, that's not the end of the story, right? God commanded, in what is kind of like a bizarre situation from the outside, God said, I want you Abraham, to go up on the mountain, and I want you to sacrifice Isaac to me. It's kind of crazy, right? I mean, this is the promise. This is the promise that you've given me. That would be a great nation. You'd make my, make my name great. you give me a son, and now you've commanded me before he's even a man to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him for you. But nonetheless, Abraham was faithful to God, and he trusted him, and he took him up to the mountain. And before he finished that act, God stopped him. And here's what happens. And this is the text that is quoted in Hebrews chapter 6, Genesis 22. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. He said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because you have obeyed me. Again, we know the context here is, is Abraham and Isaac and the near sacrifice, but now Abraham will come into the full promise that God had planned for him because of his obedience, because of his belief, because of his trust in the promise that God had for him. Now, you're familiar with the song, Father Abraham right? Father Abraham had many sons. I'm not going to sing it by myself, so we'll (laughs) stop there. But here's the important thing. Abraham, we can't miss this. Abraham, from the time that he was promised a son to the time that Isaac came, 25 years. 25 years he sat and he waited and he believed in this promise that God had for him. This was Abraham's promise, a promise to be great, a promise to have a son, to be a great nation. And his belief in all of this before it happened is what credited him as righteousness. The promise to Abraham was specific and it's used as an example in Hebrews chapter six for a larger theme. Because the truth is is that God has promised us all things throughout scripture all kinds of stuff. Listen to some of the things that God has made promises to his believers. I will never leave you. I am your shield. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will give you rest. I will be faithful to you. These are all promises in the scriptures from God to his believers. Abraham had a journey. He was made a promise and it was fulfilled. But remember this. It was on God's timing, not his. Right? It was on God's timing. Would have Abraham not liked to wait 25 years for that promise? Probably so. But it was God's timing and not his. You see, in the context of of what we were reading, when we talk about these Jewish Christians um, who are being persecuted, who are starting to question their faith of whether it's worth it to stay in it or not, I think the truth that we have a promise is helpful to them. We have a promise, and when God makes a promise, he means it. That's what makes the second point uh, important as well. The second point is this, we can be sure. We can be sure. We can be sure of the promise that God gives us. Uh, Just by a show of hands, who here has ever made a pinky promise before? Mom, put your hands up if you made a pinky promise. All right, most of us, right? We've all made pinky promises. We know what a pinky promise is. You and your friend get together. Uh, someone says something, you say, I don't know if I could believe you. You say, well, I pinky promise, right? And so, okay, I can believe you now because you pinky promise. So you cross pinkies, say, I pinky promise. And if you go back on your word, um, then they get to break your pinky, right? Seems fair. That's just the way, it's kind of weird when you say it out loud, but that's what a pinky promise is. Sometimes we just have to be sure. That's why you hear people say, I swear, I swear I will do this. I swear I didn't do that. I swear I'll take out the trash, right? Sometimes we have to affirm what we already say, and it's because we live in a society that doesn't always mean what they say. Have you ever seen a commercial that seemed just great, and you watch it, and you're like, man, that's awesome. I want to buy that, or I want to go there. And all of a sudden, you get to the end of the commercial, and there's this super fast-paced voice, right? And it's like, "Offer offer not valid in all 50 states, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, wait, what? What did I miss? Is that true? Can I believe that? Or you had to pause your TV and read the, the fine print at the bottom that says, you know, for your four ninety nine knife, it's forty nine ninety five shipping. And you're like, wait, is so you weren't telling the truth there, right? Sometimes what's said isn't always what's meant. Kind of like how Tom Brady said he didn't know anything about the deflated footballs. <laughs> what's said isn't always what's meant. Here's the truth. In the scriptures, we can be sure of our promise from God. When he promises us forgiveness, a new heart, the Holy Spirit, or eternal life, we can be sure of that without a shadow of a doubt. Look back with me with the text, starting in verse 16. This is what the Hebrew writer says. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. And God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Church, when I read this, the question that I ask myself is, why do I worry? Why do we worry? Why do we worry about anything but if you're like me I don't know if you've ever felt unsure of the things that God has promised or the things that God has said maybe you felt alone you felt a cast out abandoned forgotten or something else guess what you're not alone there's people in this room who have felt this way there's people on this stage right now who have felt that way there's people in the scriptures who have felt that way we go back to Abraham's story as he's used as the example for this we can remember when Abraham before he ever got his son Isaac he's still sitting and waiting on this promise from God And at this point in his life he's 99 years old and he's starting to wonder and so God comes to him and he promises him again he says Abraham I'm gonna give you a son I'm gonna make you a great nation I'm gonna make you great I will bless you and then he explains to him the promise and the covenant of circumcision. He says, this is gonna be the promise between you and, and me and the people and it's gonna be wonderful. This was his response in Genesis chapter 17. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? See, Abraham started to question. He started to wonder, <laughs> Listen, God, I believe you. Like I believe that I believe what you said, but I'm 99. Like, can I have the sun now? Can I've waited along enough? Right? He started to question. He start to wonder whether God was going to come through. He had a hard time believing it. Sometimes it's not easy to trust and to believe what God has promised us. But because of the oath that God has made, we should be encouraged. Here's what I think the writer is trying to say. God's word is true. When God said something, he means it. And so in the scripture, when we go back to Genesis 22, when God says, I swear by myself that I will do this, doesn't that make his word doubly true? When when, when God backs himself up, when he has to back his own word up and say, I swear by myself, you can believe me, Abraham, I will do this for you. I think that's what he's trying to do. We don't have to have a pinky promise from God, but we do. We do. And this has to change the way that we live. This has to change. This, this has to be important to us, that we can live without fear and without doubt of our future and our relationship with God. Think about it this way. If I were to promise you, if I were to guarantee you that without a doubt that you could trust what I told you, would you live differently if I told you that you wouldn't fall off the cliff if I told you that the wave wouldn't knock you over when you're on the surfboard or for some of you that the zip line wouldn't break would you live differently if I could promise you if I could guarantee you without a doubt that that was true if I told you that the girl would say yes to your proposal or that the audience would love your voice when you sang or that the motorcycle wouldn't crash when you hit that jump Would you live differently if I promised you, if I guaranteed you, if you knew without a doubt that those things were true? If I told you that your investment would triple, or that your jokes would always be funny? Thank you. Or that your wife wouldn't get mad at you? Would you live differently if those were promises that you knew that you could trust and believe? I know that I would. And I think this is what the scripture is saying. If we know that it's true, if we know deep down in our heart that the promise of God, the scriptures are true, we have to live differently. We have to believe things differently. We can live without a doubt in fear of our relationship of where we stand with Christ. My friends, that makes a world of a difference in how we live. I think for the, the listeners of this letter all throughout the Roman Empire, who are beginning to be persecuted, who are beginning to question whether they should stay in the faith or not, whether it's worth it. This had to make all the difference. That when God says something, when he says, I'm not gonna forget you, I'm not gonna leave you, I will be there for you, I do care, I am paying attention to what's happening to you, that has to make a difference for them, that had to encourage them. I think it also brings us to our next point. And our last one, the hope is an anchor. The hope is an anchor. In life, as people, um, things that happen to us can make us feel alone and forgotten and left out. Some people probably in this room have been dealt a pretty raw deal. Things that have happened to you in life that aren't fair, that other people don't have to go through, and we wonder... Why it has to be like that and how we can get through it. Look at the last part of our text with us. Verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. When we read that, we have to understand two things. What is the hope and how does it anchor? And so if you remember anything from this sermon, I want you to remember this. So you write this down under your last point as well. Remember this, the hope. What we're talking about, the hope that anchors us through all these times is this, that God does what he says, he's fair and he's just, and his promise is true. Church, this is the foundation of our hope and our belief in Jesus. And what he does for us is this, God does what he says, he's fair and just, and his promise is true is true. Why is this important? Well, we all have times where we need an anchor, right? The anchor here is used as a metaphor uh, for for life. We all have times where we need an anchor, where the wind is strong, kind of like yesterday. (laughs) The waves are crashing in. The water seems to be flooding our deck. The visibility is foggy, and we start to wonder, does anyone know? Does anyone care And is anyone going to do anything about it? Have you ever been in a time of life where you felt those things? Where you're in a storm and you wonder, is anyone going to do anything about it? Without a hope, without an anchor to hold you steady. You could be tossed into into the sea and your spiritual life may drown and never come back up. But the hope, the promise of God is meant to be an anchor to hold us steady. Listen to this. Not to miss the storm but to weather the storm, right? The hope, the promise of God, the anchor in our life is not meant to help us to miss the storm, not to avoid it, but to get through it. That is the hope and the promise of God. My wife and I had to learn this lesson uh, firsthand. My wife Shelby and I have uh, always thought we've done things the right way, or as Pastor Chris kind of said last week, in a linear way. Right, If we, we did this and we did this, then, then this will happen. Um, we were high school sweethearts, which is kind of a cool thing to say. We dated for six years before we got married, which is crazy to think about, but it's true. And uh, we both graduated college, and then we got married. We had plans for our lives, just like any young couple would. We had plans to, to, to do great things and to start a family. I'm a pastor. She's a teacher we tried to be a good example and, and live a moral life. And we thought because of this um, that our plans would happen the way that, that we had them planned out. But as you probably know, God usually has different plans. And so my wife and I decided to uh, start a family a few years after we got married. And so um, we started trying and, and we struggled. And infertility became a real thing to us. We tried medicine for a while, um, and eventually we referred to see a fertility specialist. And because of some unique factors about the both of us, we had to go to the major of uh, attempting IVF, or in vitro fertilization, which is a grueling process for a woman to go through. We tried because we wanted to have family. We wanted to have our own kids, much like Abraham, we said we give us a kid. We want to have a kid. And so we did it. We tried. And we failed. And we were both heartbroken. It was hard for us. It was difficult. But we both decided that we want to be resilient. We wanted to we wanted to to have a family. And we weren't gonna let just one attempt stop us. And so we said we're we're gonna try this again. We're gonna do it again. And we failed again. And this time, we were devastated. So we decided to use the last of our savings account to try one last time, because as you know, insurance doesn't pay for anything. We went into it expecting to fail, honestly. And it seemed like our prayers were just begging God to show up. Around us, it seemed like everyone was getting pregnant by just looking at each other. It's <laughs> what it felt like. And here we were, trying everything we could, spending everything that we had. We felt alone. We felt abandoned. We felt forgotten. We felt like God didn't care. And although I know this isn't the worst thing that has happened to anybody, because I'm sure there's people in this room who have gone through much more difficult and trying situations for us as a young couple This was everything to us. And so it was difficult. Here's why I tell you all of this, because it's not comfortable for me to share all of this with you. We wouldn't have survived this spiritually without hope. Without hope as an anchor in our lives. And although we felt, I'm telling you, we felt everything that I just described to you, alone, abandoned, forgotten, And a numerous of other things, we felt all of those things. Deep down in us, there was a part of us, a small part of us, but a part of us that believed that God was watching, that he did care, and that he hadn't forgot of us. We didn't feel that way, but we believed it. Our boat was in a storm, and it could have easily sunk, and at times we were ready for it to do that. But our anchor in our lives, our hope, our trust that God had not forgotten us is what kept us through it. He anchored us through that storm. And now, after what we promised would be our last attempt, for two reasons. One, emotionally, we were not capable of taking another failed attempt. And secondly, financially, we were not able to do it again at all. And so we told ourselves, this is it. This is the last time. If God, if if it doesn't happen here, it's God shutting the door and locking it and saying, move on, try something else. And we were ready for that. Like I said, we went into our third cycle and saying, this is it. We kind of expect to fail, but we're just trying to give it our best effort. But I'm happy to tell you today that God came through for us in our last time. And in July, we had our baby girl, Willow. She's eight months old today. And as you can imagine, thank you. She's the pride and joy of our lives, and we recognize today, and I share this with you because it's important to recognize your story. It's important to recognize how God has come through for you, even when your boat was in a storm, and we recognize today it was his timing, not ours, and what he taught us as individuals and as a couple was important. This song that we sang earlier from Christian Stanfield. It filled our hearts during this time. Oh my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength always. I will not fear his promise is true. My God will come through always. Here's what I ask you today. Do you have an anchor on your boat? Is it ready for the storm? Because God's promise it's true and it will always be true. He will not forget you. He will not leave you. Our hope is that God does what he says. He is fair and that his promise is true. We have to believe that because if you don't believe it, here's the one thing that I will tell you. It's not always going to make sense, right? It's not always going to make sense. It's not always going to be your plan. I think that's why God said in Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways smarter than your ways, higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's smarter than us, and he has a plan for us, and it's gonna happen on his timing, not ours. You have to believe that in the deepest part of you. We don't always get it. We don't always will. I know that firsthand. You probably do as well. All we have to do is have this anchor of hope knowing that God does what he says. He is fair. and His promise is true. This hope is anchored in our soul through what Jesus did on the cross. Today, if you don't know that, if you don't know that truth of what Jesus did for us, the rest of this doesn't make any sense. I challenge you to know that. It's the hope that will carry you through the most unimaginable of times. And it's the hope that will send us into eternity. It's why this passage ends like this. It, the hope, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You see, in the temple were two curtains. One curtain separated where the people were and where the priests were. The people could not come in where the priests would do their sacrifices and all their, all their priestly responsibilities. There was a curtain that separated that. So the people would come in and do their offerings and all that kind of stuff, but they would never be able to get into the area where the priests were. But there was also a second curtain. There was a second curtain that separated where the, the, the priests were in another place called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. This is where God's presence dwelt. No one could enter into that place. And this hope that we have, the scripture says this hope penetrates into that inner place, into that holy of holies, where the presence of God is and where Jesus has gone before us. That's an anchor. It's dug its way into the bottom of the oceans to hold us tight and steady and firm until the storm is over. So that even in the midst of the storm, we don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to worry about where we stand with God and what he feels about us and whether he's watching or not because we know that Jesus has gone before us and he's promised us he's preparing a place for us in the heavens. Amen? That's an anchor. And if you don't know that today, if you don't know what it feels like to have this anchor, this hope, this comfort that can teach you peace in the midst of troubles, you need to know it. There's an anchor that's ready to hold your life steady and firm even when things don't go your way. You just need to make sure you have it. Today, this morning, I want to challenge you to an end with this. Even when life throws you a curveball, when things don't go your way, it's going to be hard to stay strong if in the deepest part of you, you don't believe this. God does what he says. He's fair and just, and his promise is true. If you believe those things, even when things don't go your way and even when you don't feel like you want to believe those things, in the deepest part of you, you will believe it and it will anchor your life, hold you firm and steady in the midst of a storm. So whether the oceans come waving in, the tide hits, or even if your engine dies, the anchor will hold you firm and steady. Let's pray.